0: Thank you, Megan. morning, church. I'm excited to open up God's Word with you. And so while you're turning to John 5, if you haven't already, let me uh, just welcome you on this Easter. There are many things to uh, be excited about. First and foremost, Christ who died and rose from the dead. Uh, Praying for Colton. It's a special opportunity that we as a church have uh, this year to invest in him and to see the gospel go out. Uh, We've got uh, baptism coming up with two of our youngest who have been with us in the life of our church. Um, But I am really excited as as a pastor to see these two young guys take pastoral challenge and sit on the front row in purple shirts. I am so proud of you guys. (laughs) There there are many reasons to celebrate, but that is one of them. And I honor you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you didn't read your email members this week, and I appreciate you guys for doing so and listening. Well done. Um, Second thing I must say is that uh, it is Easter. There is lots in this service. And, Graham, I just remembered that the Y is closed today, which really means we don't have a deadline for time. And uh, so I'm going to (laughs) do... There is a crowd over here that is wondering. But... But We want to spend time in this text, but we want to do so uh, in a timely manner. There's a timely word in this text. Uh, this text is, uh, I think, one of the most audacious claims of Jesus in all of the, the Gospels. Jesus is saying that he is equal to God the Father. And that is uh, blasphemy to these Jews who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It is really one of the most audacious and yet marvelous claims of Jesus in, in all of the Bible, especially all of the, the Gospel of John. It's what sets him apart from every other human that's ever walked the earth. It, it's what sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions of the world, that we believe in a single God who is in three persons, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying that I am one with the Father, like Father, like son. And in a different way though than I am like my father. Uh, there as I am getting older and he is too, I, I can look at the back of my hands and see my dad's hands that I grew up looking at and different things like that and some of you would you know you can see the unfortunate resemblance. Uh, between us both. And I'm not sure who of my sons is going to have to carry that unfortunate resemblance on uh, in the past. Uh, But there are other things that I do that I don't mean to do. I just do because like father, like son. But it's so much more than that. There's been a a cool father-son story that has uh, come up uh, recently. And uh, I bring it up because of, of two reasons. One, Uh, because it has to do with an Aggie. Uh, Number two, it is a father-son deal. Number three, it has to do with the masters that's happening right now. And fourth, uh, it has a timely reminder, just like this passage does as well. There's a man named Sam Bennett, who's a fifth-year senior, for those fifth-year seniors that are uh, continuing another, another year, uh, Fifth-year senior at a and won the U.S. Amateur Tournament last year, got an opportunity to play in the Masters Tournament this week, and yet uh, in 2013, when he was a young teenager, his dad was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's at the age of 45. And uh, in 2020, his dad was going downhill very fast, And some of his last words to his son were this, don't wait to do something. Don't wait to do something. It was so impactful on him, he asked his mom to get him to get his dad to write that out as kind of his last words. And it took him 15, 20 minutes to write that phrase on a piece of paper. And it looks like your preschoolers handwriting but he's got it on a piece of paper that he kept in the car for the longest time and even had it tattooed on his arm that preschool lettering don't wait to do something and that's good advice for for any father to any son about just life here on this earth but even more so if it's spiritual advice and Jesus is not a father. He's a son. And yet he's going to give a very similar word of advice and word of warning to all who listen to him. Don't wait to do something. If I could sum up Jesus's words in this passage right here, it would be, now is the time to believe. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another day to begin following Jesus all the days of your life. Now is the time to believe. To believe in the Son who offers life before judgment. Now is the time to believe in the Son who offers life before judgment. Uh, As I walk through this passage in John 5, we're going to see three things. Uh, This morning, we're going to see first a marvelous truth. We're going to see a gospel promise and a timely warning. Each one of those you're going to see with the introduction of this little phrase truly, truly. Jesus trying to grab his listeners' attention for a moment with a double amen. That's what that means, truly, truly. Amen, amen. Listen in to these true and lasting words. And so as you see those words, truly, truly, you know we're coming upon uh, another point. And in John chapter 5, Jesus is addressing a group of Jews, probably the religious leaders and the Pharisees, Uh, that we encountered earlier in John chapter 5 when Jesus had left Galilee in the north and he had come back down into Jerusalem during a feast, going through a specific gate on a specific day of that feast on the Sabbath to a specific well to interact with a specific man and to heal this man. And to not only heal him physically, but to heal him spiritually as well, so that this lame man who had been lame for 38 years could experience eternal life with God in in heaven. But even during the rest of his years here on this earth, he could spend that worshiping God in the temple. And, (coughs) excuse me, in response to this, It says that the Jews in verse 16 of chapter 5, that they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 18 says that this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God like father, like son, in a whole different way than I am like my father and that my sons are like their father. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is equal to God the Father. And yet there are some differences between them. And this is what we see teased out in this passage. Jesus is responding to those Jewish leaders and our story kind of pauses a big narrative and story and, and this moment is really just Jesus speaking to them. There's no more story going on. It's just Jesus and His words to these religious leaders. And He starts there in verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. This is important. It actually is uh, Book ended in our passage this morning. If you look in verse 19, Jesus starts out saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. And then skip down all the way to verse 30. I can do nothing of my own, Jesus says. He's bookending this short segment of His speech to these Jewish leaders, um, trying to show the likeness between the Son and the Father. And yet the submission that we see of the Son to the Father. This is the the marvelous truth in verses 19 through 23 that we're going to be looking at. And I'll give you a couple sub-points as we go under each of these kind of main categories to help you see both these two ideas in each of our sections. Both life and judgment. Which is why I said earlier that now is the time to believe in the Son who offers life before judgment. Each of these sections, you're going to see both life and judgment in them. And, and so Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own accord. He's made himself equal to God, and he is, and yet he says he can do nothing of his own accord. It's not exactly that he can't, but he won't. He is perfectly submissive to his father. He does what his father's will is. He never does anything otherwise. He only does what the father does, but only what he sees the father doing. How does he know what that is? For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. So how does Jesus know what exactly to do? Well, God the Father loves the Son. This is evident throughout this gospel, that God loves the Son and that the Son loves the Father. And that God, in loving His Son, is going to make everything evident that he is supposed to do, Jesus is not going to have to wonder what it is he is supposed to do. We can even think at the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus is in the garden, about to be betrayed by Judas, arrested by the soldiers, wrongly tried, uh, wrongly convicted, and eventually crucified. He's in the garden praying with his sleepy disciples, and in that garden he prays to God. If there be any way for this cup to pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. God's will was 100% evident to Jesus. He knew what God wanted him to do because God had shown him what he was to do. and God had made it clear to him. And, and not only that, it says even in the rest of verse 20, And greater works than these will he show him. Greater works than, than these. This is a, a reference back to already what just happened in the context of John chapter 5. Jesus had healed the lame man for, that had been at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. And Jesus is telling this group of Jews who are upset about this, that there is even greater works than what Jesus just did on the Sabbath that Jesus was going uh, to do in the future. So if essentially saying to these religious leaders, if that shocked you, you're in for a shocking ride because that's just the beginning of what God is going to allow me to have a part of in my ministry here on this earth and even beyond that. greater works not just healing lame men but as we travel through the gospel of John he's going to feed 5000 men and some maybe 15 20,000 people on a hillside he's going to heal a man who was born blind in John chapter 9 he's actually going to heal a dead man resuscitate a dead man in John chapter 11 Lazarus his dear friend Greater works than these, God is going to make known and and tell him. And why is he going to do that? So that you may marvel. Why is God, (coughs) who loves his son, going to give him these great works to do uh, in the midst of all of these people to see? So that they might marvel at the son. So that they might marvel at God. So that they might adore Him. So that they might admire Him. So that they might wonder at Him. So that they might worship Him. Is that your response to Jesus? Marvel? Wonder? Awe? And worship? It ought to be. This ought to be our response to who Jesus is as he, as we read through the Gospel of John on our own throughout the weeks, as we study through the Gospel of John, as you're doing your own reading and you see Jesus come off the pages, our response ought to be marvel. Our response ought to be wonder. We ought to wonder at the fact that that the Father raises the dead, it says in verse 21, and gives them life. And so also the Son gives life to whom He will. This is the really the first sub-point, that the Father gives life to the Son to marvel. He gives this power to bring forth life so that we would marvel at Him. This is Alluding to at least the creation when God brought everything to life. And God saying, I have that power. I have that power to bring from nothing everything. And to bring about life even from the dead. And I'm giving that power to my son. I'm giving that to Jesus so that you would marvel at him. For Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God is revealing himself to the watching world through his one and only son. And so he gives him this authority, this power to raise the dead and, and give life. And this is what Jesus will do, as I mentioned a minute ago, in John chapter 11 for Lazarus when Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters, urged him to come quickly before he died, thinking that If he got there after he had died, it would be too late. But Jesus intentionally waiting back a few days so that he would show up in their eyes when it was too late so that he could raise Lazarus from the dead, that they might marvel at him. Jesus, of course, as we celebrate this Easter, is not only going to raise someone else from the dead, He's going to raise himself from the dead that all might marvel at him. And and both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all working to that end. They're all working to raise the dead to life. Yes, physically, in a few healing stories, and ultimately in Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was buried in the tomb and rose from the dead, but, but for, for all of us spiritually as well. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, are working together um, to bring about spiritual life. As we sung earlier from Ephesians chapter 2, that all mankind was dead in our sins and trespasses, and yet raised to walk in the newness of life. That we were raised by Christ Jesus. Uh, By grace we have been saved. This is the death to life that Jesus is talking about in this passage, in addition to his own physical raising, others, and eventually himself. And in fact, it's this life, this, uh, this spiritual life, Uh, That is pictured in baptism as we're going to celebrate. Baptism is a picture of what's happened to Christians spiritually in the past and what they are longing for and looking forward to physically in the future. Baptism is when a, a Christian, a believer, a new believer in Christ has Repented of their sins, trusted Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and want to publicly tell everyone watching that they're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the salvation of all who believe, both Jew and Gentile, from Romans 1.16. And so as these two brothers, these two sons, uh, are enter into the water later on with their fathers... They are both saying that this picture, as one goes under the water and comes out of the water, is a picture of what has happened to us already spiritually. We were spiritually dead in our sins, buried under the water, and yet we've been raised to walk in the newness of life by Jesus Christ. They have been saved. It's a picture of what's happened to them spiritually in the past, but it's also a picture of of what they look forward to and long for physically in the future. That as young as these two brothers are uh, in, in their life, one day, unless, uh, unless the Lord returns, they'll die. And, and they will need the Lord to return and to give them resurrected bodies to be able to spend eternity with Him forever in heaven. And it's this power, it's even this picture in baptism that God, the Father, gives to Jesus. He gives him life, which is why now is the time to believe in the Son who offers life before judgment. Judgment, then, is the, the second subpoint of this section. Not only does the Father give life, but He gives judgment to the, to the Son to honor Him. Verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Earlier, God said that the son knows uh, what to do because the father shows him these things. But here, this is a bit different. The father says he judges no one, but he's given that judgment to the son. And He'll know what to do, and He will be the one that will do it so that they would honor both the Son and the Father. That all, in verse 23, that all may honor the Son. Just like marvel, both of these verbs in the present tense, meaning not just once. Don't marvel at Jesus once and move on to your regular life. Don't honor Jesus once through a prayer uh, of of forgiveness and wanting God's salvation, honor Him now and always. All of the days that you're given. Marvel at Him today and every day, now and forevermore. The, the Father judges no one, but He's given judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And listen, whoever does not honor the Son does not Honor the Father who sent him. Now, again, as I've tried to do for us as we consider these scriptures, put yourself in that story. Imagine you're the religious leaders who are seeking and persecuting Jesus because of what he's said, uh, thinking that Jesus is blaspheming God, calling himself equal with God, and now he's going another step and saying, if you not only If you don't believe me, are you on the wrong side of things? But if you don't honor me, you're not honoring the Father. Again, this is an audacious claim of Jesus, saying that he deserves all honor, all glory, all worship, all praise, all obedience, all faith. He deserves it all because he's been given it all by the Father. And this is important. We could consider a passage like Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is, Jesus, and he has bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father god is giving god the father is giving the son the power to give life and the authority to judge that we might marvel at him and that we might honor him because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a marvelous truth, one worth paying attention to. And so Jesus lays this truth out, but he follows it up with a gospel promise That's what we see in verse 24. I told you, if you saw the truly, truly's coming, you would know that we're getting close to another point. Well, here we are. Verse 24. Truly, truly, amen, amen, Jesus says, I say to you, and here's the gospel promise, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is good news. That's good news for all of us who are here, who have put our faith in Jesus, to be reminded of that promise this morning again. That, that our faith, that our salvation is not resting on how serious we were in our prayer when we were a child or how holy the water was that we were sprinkled with or dunked under, or how well we've been obeying the words of Christ since then. This is a gospel promise. It's a good news promise, and it's one that is accomplished by Jesus Christ, not by you. When we repent and believe, we're simply testifying and giving witness to what God has already done in our lives. And the good news and the gospel promise is there in verse 24, whoever, whoever, and so it doesn't matter who you are when you came into this place, this is a promise for you, whether you're a member of our church, a guest of our church, a family member, a friend, whether you've lived a good life on the outside uh, or a bad life on the outside, or whether you're, well, there's no good on the inside. So bad on the inside, if we know that to be the truth of us, and we're bad on the inside, this is a promise for you. Whoever, whoever hears My words, Jesus says. And believes in Him, that is, God the Father who sent Him. He has eternal life. The sub-point for this would be that we, we ought to hear the words of the Son for life. Jesus, claiming to be equal with God. One with God, the second person of the Trinity, is saying, if you hear my words, and Jesus has made it clear what his words are repent and believe in the Son. Whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me. Second subpoint would be to believe in the Father's Son to escape judgment. This is good news. Good news that you don't have to leave this place and accomplish a to do list to be able to enjoy eternal life one day. The gospel promise in this passage is Jesus saying, if you've heard my words, you're halfway there. Simply repent of your sins and believe in whom I've said that I am and in the Father who has sent me and you will, present tense, right now, have eternal life. It's not something you have to wait for And it's not something you have to wonder about whether or not you'll have it in the future. It is yours. Right here, right now. If you came into this place just not coming to worship Christ, but just coming to consider Christ. Or or maybe you came because you felt like you had to upon the invitation of a loved one. And yet you have heard the words of Christ that he has life and has judgment. Realize you're halfway there. You have been blessed more than billions of people in the world to have had the opportunity to hear this gospel promise that in Jesus is life for all who repent and believe, that we must believe then. The second half of that then is to believe repent of our sins to believe in the father's son Jesus Christ to be able to escape judgment and this is our hope consider 1 John chapter 2 verse 23 through 25 the apostle John who's writing this gospel that we're looking at later will write three letters that are included in our new testament to the early church and in the first one in chapter 2, verse 23, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Christian, rest in the fact that you have eternal life right here, right now. It's not something you have to wait for. Eternal life is yours because Christ Jesus has raised you from being dead in your sins to being made alive in Christ. You are enjoying the beginning of Years of eternal life. Though they may only be 80 or 120 here on this earth, they will be for eternity in the future. That's the gospel promise. But like I said, another truly, truly has come upon us. And this brings us to the last point a, a timely warning. So consider the logic, consider the flow of Jesus' words giving us. This marvelous truth of the equality of the Son with the Father, the ability to give life, the ability to judge. Uh, and, and, and that marvelous truth is one that we ought to marvel at and honor. And Jesus has followed it with a gospel promise, a hope for those of us who have heard those words, to believe those words, to have eternal life, to be forgiven of our sins. But Jesus finishes with a timely warning. A timely warning. And it's, it's timely because immediately after He says, truly, truly, I say to you, He says, an hour is coming and is now here. An hour is coming, but pay attention, And is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. An hour is coming and is now here. What Jesus is saying, and this will be contrasted in the last half of this paragraph, that there is an hour that essentially has come upon us. Now, as I said earlier in the beginning of the message, is the time to believe. An hour is coming, but it's already here. Now is the time to believe in the Son that you might have life, that you might be able to enjoy the eternal life that Jesus has promised to all who believe in him it was uh, a gift from the father to the son and the son now has the prerogative to give it to those who repent and believe now is the time to hear the son and to live that's the first subpoint of this closing paragraph but Jesus ends with with a future warning. Verse 27, not only has he given him life and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. You remember that earlier, the Apostle John, uh, recording Jesus' words, Jesus said that God gave him these gifts so that you might marvel at him he gave him life that you might marvel at him and worship him and repent and believe in him and spend all your days uh, honoring him but Jesus here says do not marvel at this for an hour is coming notice that there is no and is now here No, do not marvel at this, Jesus said, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There is a time right here and right now for us to believe to marvel at the sun, to honor the sun, But there is a time coming when it will be too late. There's a time coming in the future when Jesus will return. And when he speaks, all will hear his voice and will come to life. And those who have done good, and when Jesus said here, have done good, he is not meaning that they have obeyed the Ten Commandments. For that's already been proven that we cannot do that. But good in Jesus' eyes, he's made already clear, which is to repent and to believe. For those who have marveled at the Son and honored the Son, he will raise them to resurrection of life. But to those who have done evil, those who have denied him, like these Jews who are listening to Jesus this very day speak these words in the first century. For those who have done evil, they too will hear Jesus' words and they will be resurrected to judgment. And the passage closes with Jesus saying, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We are in a world that is full of unjust judgments, and the only one that we often think would be able to judge rightly is ourselves. Just put me into that situation, and I would be able to judge rightly whether that's a courtroom situation or an employee and boss situation or with you and the umpire in the batter's box. But Jesus is saying, my judgment is just. It's a timely warning. Now is the time to believe, not to wait another day. For if Christ returns tomorrow, he will judge and his judgment will be just. And if we have yet to repent and believe, then we will experience that judgment and be separated from God for all eternity. And Jesus gives us a note there in the midst of that. It says that in verse 27, that he has given him, God the Father has given the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And this is language that Jesus is referencing back to something that was written hundreds of years before in Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, when God's people were exiled uh, out of Jerusalem and into Babylon and were taken as slaves in the Babylonian exile, Daniel had a vision. And he wrote down that vision for many to read afterwards. And in this vision, Of Daniel chapter 7, in verse 9, it says that as I looked, thrones were placed. And an ancient of days, that's God the Father, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, honored him, marveled at him. And 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. You can skip ahead a few verses to verse 13 where Daniel continues to record this vision and he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like a son of man. That's Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am that son of man from Daniel chapter 7. That in the throne room of heaven with God on his seat, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to this son of man, to Jesus Christ, the son of God, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a vision that Jesus was aware of, that these Jews listening to Jesus were clearly aware of, and Jesus brings it up and says, You should honor me. Because I'm the Son of Man that Daniel wrote about in his vision. I'm the one that is going to come to the Ancient of Days one day and going to receive all honor and all glory and all judgment one day. That's an old vision that Jesus is referencing, bringing up into their minds. But the Apostle John, again, who's writing this gospel for us, Himself is going to have a vision later on in life. And he's going to write that vision down for many of us to read and hear. And I just want to read you one part in closing uh, the part that describes the fulfillment of what Daniel chapter 7 was describing. The Apostle John writes and records his vision from the Lord in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11. And he says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Remember, Jesus said, I will speak and they will come to life. And they're all standing before the throne. And it says, and books were opened. The second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the picture of what is to come, the judgment that Jesus says there is a day coming. It's not here yet. You still have an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus in that gospel promise. But the time is coming when it'll be too late. And Jesus urges all to repent and believe in him. Remember Jesus' last words to the lame man earlier in this passage. After he had healed him, the man went away. Jesus went and found him in the temple worshiping. And Jesus said to him, See, you are well, not just physically. Spiritually, he had life and Jesus warned him, go and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. What could be worse than 38 years of being lame at the edge of the pool? Eternity separated from God, being judged according to your sin, which is why now is the time to believe in the Son who offers life before judgment. Don't wait to do something. Let's pray. Father, would you grant life to some here this morning as you have granted life to many of us who have repented of our sins and believed in you. You've granted life to two two of these young men in our church who are going to come forward publicly in baptism, and we thank you for what you've done in their life. We look forward to celebrating that. But Lord, would you right here, right now, whoever you brought to hear your words this morning, would you take their dead heart and bring it to life? Open their eyes to this marvelous truth of who you are and what you've done for them in dying and rising from the dead? Would you help them to hear your gospel promise that whoever would repent and believe would have eternal life? And Lord, help each of us respond appropriately, marveling at you, honoring you, hearing your words of timely warning knowing that now is the time to believe in the Son who offers life before judgment. But there is a time coming when it'll be too late. Lord, would you spur us on as your children, your sons and daughters who now have a likeness to the Son because you've given us your very Holy Spirit. Lord, would you give us an urgency to take this marvelous truth, this gospel promise, and this timely warning to those who have yet to repent and believe in you. For if you are to return this very day, Lord, they would be without you. Let us cross the table. Let us cross the street. Let us cross the aisle at work. Let us cross from dugout to dugout. Let us cross uh, relationships Let us cross state lines, let us cross national lines, let us cross oceans, let us give our lives, Lord, that others would hear of the marvelous Son. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the time is near. Lord, you are worth it. May we marvel at you and honor you this morning as we celebrate your resurrection from the dead.